This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, we're at the end of the chapter 12 and kind of fumbling our way through the book of Romans these last few months and coming to the 12th chapter now and finishing up this, this last or this, this chapter. And as uh, Paul gets to the end of his epistles, it's not uncommon for him to um, make a list You've seen all those lists before in the scripture where he just begins to rattle off a list of things, specific things that he wants to do. Papyrus is very expensive, so expensive that it's probably the case that when Paul is writing or his amanuensis is writing uh, in the, in the, epist- in the uh, on the papyrus that there's no space between the words. So that there's, that that's how valuable the, the papyrus is. So... Now it comes to the end, and he's rattled on about the gospel for these 12 chapters. Now he realizes there's so much more to say about what, the way we should live our life, right? And so now he kind of comes rapid fire, bing, 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 a list of things that he gives to us. And these are difficult uh, passages to preach because oftentimes there's not a thread that's woven through there. But I think there's a thread in this, in this list that we can see. It's the thread of love. And so... When we're looking here, we see him uh, repeating these things that are seemingly unconnected, but I think we'll see how they're connected here as we look at them and recognize what he's doing. He's talking about if your life is affected by the gospel, if everything in your life has changed, if everything is rearranged, your passions, your character, all these different things, the strengths in your life, the giftings that God has given you, all these things are changed, then then uh, we should we should be able to to show how to live a life of love and how to live an overcoming life. And so, uh, really, this is about love inside the church and love outside the church. Those are the two themes here we look at. So, look here, he says in verse 9, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Uh, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this passage of Scripture, uh, 
is, is really just this list of things that he, expectations that the apostle has about the church and things that he wants us to do. And so these smattering of different things and how to, how, you know, evil and good and how to live our life and how not to be vengeful and all these different things are, are, seem like they're all over the place, but we'll just look through them and see, uh, and we'll just kind of glance off of each one and, 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 you know, see if God doesn't speak to us through his word. He's pretty faithful to speak to us through his word, amen? So whenever you get into the words, it's, a, you know, it's, it's one thing to read it, and it's another thing to really look into it and let it reflect back to you because there are things in there that, that uh, we need work on. Amen? Amen. So he says, uh, there should be, we should be sincere. Love must be sincere. And really, everything that he's speaking about here seems to be how to live your life in love. So this could almost be the heading of this, of this uh, pericope, this, this passage. This could almost be the heading of, of this, that what does sincere love look like? And so in the first section, it seems as though he's talking about brothers and sisters together, how, how we as a, as a family of God, how we live as a family, and, and how we are supposed to relate one to another. And who can tick you off like family? Right? So we're the family of the Lord. So no one can tick you off like family. And so he recognizes that. So he says there has to be sincere love. The word there is a word that means without a mask. Uh, actors in those days wore a mask so they could determine, they could move from character to character without doing much uh, uh, changing, you know. And so they would put a mask on and, and they would act out that person. Then they'd switch a mask and they would become another person in their, in their dramas. And so... Uh, an actor was a person who wore this mask. Uh, it, it is to put to put a mask on is on your face is hypocrites. We get the word hypocrite from that. Hypocrites to put upon yourself a, a mask. And so this word means without a mask. So or without uh, literally without this this uh, this thing on your face. Unhypocritical. So love must be without any mask, must be nothing hidden when we, re- when we really love someone. We must be a person who, who is sincere and has, has the absolute sincerity of God on the inside of us. Uh, that love hates darkness. All through the scripture, the Bible talks about how love hates. I almost called this message, Love Hates, because there, it's, it's, it's hard for us to imagine that perfect love has hatred in it. I want you to stop and think about that. Perfect love has hatred in it. It's already built into love. To be passionate about something means to be means to have feelings about other things that aren't that thing, right? So uh, if you uh, think the best hot dog in Chicago is Gene and Jude's and you're passionate about that, and, and you know of a certainty that Gene and Jude's, how many of you know Gene and Jude's hot dog? Raise your hand, be proud. Raise your hand. You know Gene and Jude's hot dog's best in Chicago. Then you are, you are, then you're passionate about that. And in order to love that Gene and Jude's hot dog that much, that means you have to have a feeling about a super dog, right? Super dog? If you have it, how many of you think super dog is the best hot dog in Chicago? What's the other one that you like? Parkies, Jimmy's. Well, see, I don't know how many people. How could you be walking in the Holy Ghost and be so wrong? 
It's clearly Gene and Jude's. But anyway, so, so in other words, so to have a feeling of affection or devotion to one thing automatically puts a hatred in you for something else. Love hates. All through the scripture, Psalm 97, Amos 5, 15, all these verses talk about hating what is evil. If I love God, then there becomes this hatred towards evil. It, uh, hatred towards evil because of what it did to me, right? Implicit in what Wayne testified to tonight, I'm going to interpret Wayne's testimony to you. Inter implicit in what, what uh, Wayne was saying is he didn't, he loves Jesus. He loved Jesus when he was nine. He loves Jesus now. And there was a period of time in there when he forgot how much he loved Jesus. And he hates the things that drew, drew him away from, in fact, he's devoted a good portion of his life to preaching the gospel so that people who are drawn away by the things that he hates will find their way back to God. There's a hatred for those things. I mean, you know, uh, uh, when a person is delivered from a specific thing, they, they, they develop a hatred for that. They, they don't want that thing anymore, and they don't want to be around it, and it grieves them to see anyone else attracted by that very thing. And so there's a, you know, to, to love what is good and to hate what is evil is necessary. I used to have a, a buddy, uh, Dan Taylor, who had a ministry down in Inglewood, and on the, he had, they wore black leather jackets, which I think was a bad idea. But anyway, he wore black leather jackets, and on the back they had a big symbol that said, Love God, hate sin. And uh, did anybody ever see those jackets walking around there, walking around? So, and they, they still are, some of them are walking around over there. Dan's gone, but there's still a bunch of those others. And so, um, love God, hate sin. It's, sometimes it's that simple. We have to remind ourselves, we need to, and that's what Amos 5.15, I think, says. We need to love God and hate sin. We need to stew and, and, and really have a disgust for the things that are evil. The problem with our society is we are so non-judgmental, unless we are talking about Christians, in which case our society judges Christians pretty harshly. But we're so non-judgmental that we don't make a, a differentiation between sin and things that aren't sin. And we learn to palate and to, to put up with sin all around us. And I'm not saying we should hate sinners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should hate the, the bondages that those people get trapped in. And the things that sucker us into those things. And so, like if you're on a diet, you should hate chocolate cake. Right? It's hard to hate chocolate cake. It's so good. But what, what's your response when you watch the news? And you see, oh, only three people died this week and 12 were shot. And, you know, you, you see it again and again and again and again. And you just hate that. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous, and this is what our city has, be, has come to be known for. He says, be devoted to one another. This is the brotherly love term, the term, and so basically he's pa painting us as a family. It's a familial term. He's saying that we should be people who are connected to each other within the church. Love that is sincere, love that is earnest, is a love that is connected to one another. You are not walking in love if you slip in and slip out. You aren't walking in love if no one knows who you are. If your life is so hidden that nobody really knows what's really going on with you, then you're not walking in love. 
because you have to be known. This, this devotion one to another has to be expressed. We have to have a, have, have a, like I learned this very early in my ministry. I remember there was a family. I won't mention the family because they're still around. But, and the one sister was talking bad about the other sister. How many of you know sisters will do that? And the one sister's talking smack about her sister. I don't know why she does it. I, I can't, she's talking to me about it. Why would she do that? I don't know why she did it. I'm, I don't even know her sister. I'm just new in the neighborhood, you know. I go, well, I don't know, you know. And she's starting, to, she's dragging me into this thing. And pretty soon I'm, I'm start, you know, like, yeah, that, that's really wrong. And, and, you know, and, you know, maybe, I think she has a problem. Wait a minute, Pastor. I'm like, wait, you were just talking smack about your sister here. Now, all of a sudden, I say, I think she has a problem. And I was like, wait a minute, that's my sister. I can talk smack about her because she's my sister, but you, you don't even know her. How could you? I'm like, wait a minute. What happened in this conversation? I learned a long time ago that family can dump on each other. They can even dump on each other to you, but you're not allowed to jump in in the party. There's a devotion that goes in, and that's the same thing in the body of Christ, to be devoted one to another, right? Other people can talk junk about you, but we won't talk junk about you because we, we refuse to let our tongue go that direction. Honor one another above yourself, and that's part of the way of doing that, is that, that we're honoring one another. Devote, this family devotion that we have is we're honoring one another above ourselves. Like when my wife says, after she comes up from the, from the, the first floor all the way up into our bedroom on the second floor, and she says, would you do me a favor? Would you go downstairs and get me a glass of water? And I say to her, you just came up from down there. You could have got your own glass of water. Darn it, I'm not going to do that. I say that on the inside, but on the outside I say, yes, dear, I'll get you a glass of water because I want to honor her because that's the commitment I have. I'm going to honor her, and I'll get her that glass of water. I'm sure I'll hear about this later on today. <laughs> Be zealous. When we come to church, we should be people who are, when we're working amongst each other, we should be zealous for the Lord. There should be a zeal. The way that happens is not by accident. We have to stoke the fires. We have to keep our spirits hot. And that's exactly what he says. Keep, uh, keep yourself uh, boiling over. Keep yourself hot in the spirit. This uh, uh, zealousness, this idea of being Zealous is to keep your spirit hot and serve the Lord with that. Use that energy to serve the Lord and make sure that you're, you're, you're not lacking in this zeal. That, and, and so that's on the checklist, too. I mean, if you, if you just use this as a checklist to determine how you're doing in, in walking in the, in the, with the Lord, this is a pretty good checklist right here. Then he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Joy, endurance, and persistence. Almost seem like they shouldn't go together. But if we persist and we endure with joy through the difficult times, through the tribulations, through the hard times, and if we're faithful in prayer and we just keep enduring in prayer, we will become victorious over everything that we're facing in our life. Uh, share with the Lord's people. In Galatians chapter 6, I think it is, where he says, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And so there's this... this there's a sense in which we prioritize our relationship with one another. We, our commitment to each other is when we, when we become 
members we're, of, of the church, we, we're saying, we're going to stick with you. We're going to help you. If you're a member, you, you, you're, you're sticking with us. We're sticking with you, and we'll help you. You're not going to go hungry, you know. And we'd like to help other, everyone that we can, but there, how many of you know money's limited? If you don't know that this week, I don't know you'll ever know it. Money's limited, and so there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can give away. And so you prioritize the household of faith, especially those who are in deep need. Share with the Lord's people, he says. Then rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. There's an there's a emotional connection that we have together as we're loving one another. We share with the joys, we share with the sorrows, we weep with, with those who experience loss, we rejoice with those who are who are getting who are getting blessed, and we, we we live in harmony, in agreement with one another, and we are like-minded. That's the prayer of Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Be like-minded. This is the idea of being living in harmony one with another. This is what love looks like amongst the body of Christ. On the inside of the church, on the inside, we are loving and devoted and, and, and practicing these things. And while none of us does these things perfectly, all of us should be striving to, to bring ourselves to a place where we, are, we, we can check off everything on this list and feel like we're doing something, do, doing living life right. And then he seems as, uh, as if he makes a switch here in the center of this, and now he's looking outwardly. And it's clear from the things that he says that the church is living in a hostile environment. In fact, as we go into the next chapter, he's going to talk a little bit more about the government oppression and the different things that are happening to the church. Already there's been persecution, even though this is written very early in the history of the church. Uh, already there's a persecution, governmental persecution of, of the churches, and so... Uh, here he, he's pointing out how we live in a hostile environment. And so, but in the midst of that, there's a specific way that love lives. Love lives with the idea that it's connected to, to humanity and gives us the ability to see beyond uh, familiarity with people. And so he says, be hospitable to strangers, that there's a, there's a, there's a, a open. If a church, what happens to a church if it's not hospitable to strangers? It dies because the whole idea of the church is to reach out and embrace new people and bring people to the Lord and to, to, to be passionate about bringing people to Jesus. And, and you can't do that and be closed. You have to be open. So there has to be an openness. There has to be a hospitality. It is the highest form of, is the highest ranking uh, uh, characteristic of, of leadership in the New Testament churches that they're hospitable, but they're they're willing to embrace. And over and over again, it's cha it's challenged to the to the believers that we should be hospitable to people, even strangers, even to people who are on the outside. It's uh, it's amazing to me that in uh, China, where it's illegal to worship in a in a house church, and and so uh, if you ever get a chance to look on the internet, you can find house church videos of people who are in the house churches who are who are worshiping, and they will take an American who's in, in China, and after they watch you for a little while, they'll invite you out to come worship with them in their house church, and they'll squeeze a bazillion people into a little home, and they'll, they'll have a, a prayer meeting in there, and you'll see the inner workings of that church. They're willing to be hospitable. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is stretching constantly stretching our hearts to be open to new people, to embrace new people, to embrace people who are different than us, who think differently than us, who read different stuff and, and, and watch different stuff on TV, and we're constantly being stretched out. It's a natural outgrowth of a loving heart is that we're, we're reaching out. And, and besides that, in those days, 
an inn, this is kind of a tie into baby Jesus here, but an inn was a nasty place to stay. Like we think, we think of an inn, we think of like a holiday inn. Or, right? But that's not the way the inns were back then. They were all filled with bugs. They were all, and they had all kinds of seedy, uh, not too nice people that were hanging around the inns. It was really for Jesus to be born in a manger near the inn was probably better off for baby Jesus than if he would have been in the inn because the inns were filthy in those days, filled with bugs and filled with uh, travelers who were unscrupulous, and many of them were thieves. And so, the idea here is that, that when a person came to town, it was expected that Christians would be hanging around looking for new people to invite into their homes, total strangers to invite into their homes. Come stay, with, come stay at my place tonight. You don't have to stay in that inn. You don't have to you know, uh, spend any money. Stay at my house tonight. And when they would come, they would tell them about the Lord, and they would witness to them, and they would use that opportunity. And so that, that it's really key as you're reaching out to the, the neighborhood to be hospitable and embracing. It's a challenge to us. We need to check that off on our list, make sure that we're being hospitable. Then he says, um, when people are persecuting you, and this is the, kind of the clue that there's a hostility between the church and in the, the environment that they're in, when those people are persecuting you, be a blessing. Bless and do not curse. Wow, that is a tough thing, right? When somebody is coming after you and they're treating you wrong or they take your parking places away from your coffee house or whatever it is, and, and it, it's hard to be a blessing and not to curse them, right? It's hard not to stick up for yourself. It's hard... But to be a blessing and not curse them is, is important. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the challenge to be Christ-like. To bless people with divine blessing, it's called down in prayer. Jesus said, pray for those who are coming against you, right? It's one of these things, when you're preaching through these lists, you just get convicted you want to have an altar call. I'm just really convicted right now. So I'm having an inner altar call right now. Then he says, uh, don't be proud. In other words, don't be... Willing to or be willing to associate with people of low position. Um, you know, hang out with people who aren't don't have it made yet, and that's uh, not always easy for some people. I think over the years of people who who are unwilling to do that, it's a pride issue. You know, in the Roman days. I'll probably share this on Sunday. But in the Roman days, they had all kinds of virtues that they extolled within the, within the human being. But do you know that in Roman and Greek thought, humility was not a high virtue. Pride was a virtue. Being strong was a virtue. Being a conqueror was a virtue. Kind of a, you know, almost in our sports culture. In, in, in the way we look at our sports culture today. And, and, but even in America, because we've been Christianized to some extent, there, there's an there's a appreciation for humility. Oh, that guy's a humble guy. He's a, he's a good guy. I mean, a, when you see, uh, I saw a video the other day of Tim Tebow knocking on some guy's door and bringing him a, a blessing, you know, and it's like, you know, how, do you, how can you hate that guy? I, don't know, I know people do, but I don't know how you can hate that guy because he's just going around giving money away to people who he doesn't know. I don't know how you, what, it's just, there's an there's openness there. there to, so when I, when I look at that, I don't know, I don't, it doesn't seem 
right to be hating on that guy. Anyway, but uh, so there's this, this thing of, of the willingness to not be uh, proud, but to embrace this humility. Um, one of the, one of the, I'm reading, just doing some study for a, a message for Sunday. One of the professors from a, a uh, from a, a sociological and historical perspective says humility really didn't become appreciated until a certain baby was born in a certain manger. Jesus is the one who showed us that humility was something to be aspired to. Everyone else tried to run from humility. With the Greeks, Cicero, uh, there was, who was it? Was it Plutarch? I think Plutarch wrote a book, a self-help book. Did you know they had self-help books in, in the Roman days? Plutarch wrote a book, and the book was called How to Speak Flattering of Yourself Without Being Unseemly. Think about Think about that's the self-help book. How to talk yourself up to people so you can look really good without making it seem really bad. Because they didn't understand humility. Jesus is the one who brought humility to the earth. Anyway, that a preach Sunday. Anyway, so then he says, don't repay evil with evil. He knows that we're going to be on the receiving end of evil actions and evil deeds done to us. And he says, don't give it back. Watch your witness, he says, in your actions. Be watching how you respond to these things. And, and as far as it is within you, he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Watching your witnesses, making sure that people are looking at you and seeing what you're really doing and seeing how you're really living so you're living right. Then not only watch your witness, but living at peace with people who, who are hostile against your your belief system, live at peace with them as much as it is within you. Giving just that statement there says that he recognizes that it will not always be possible for you to live at peace with people who don't believe like you. But you should do everything that you can do to keep it peaceful. It's like forgiveness, you know. You forgive someone if somebody doesn't want to be forgiven and you forgive them anyway, uh, you know, then... then You've done everything you can do. If there's not been a reconciliation because they don't acknowledge that they did anything wrong to you, then that, that there can't be a full healing there. But, but at least you've done everything you could do. As much as with, is within you, live at peace with everyone around you. And then he says, don't do evil to people who do, do wrong to you, but rather leave room for God's wrath. Allow God's wrath. See, the problem is if we try to we try to um, manipulate somebody or we try to, to uh, avenge something because then it's a natural human condition. He spends a little time on this. Natural human condition to try to defend yourself or to avenge yourself or to bring revenge. He, said, he says, we recognize that's really counterintuitive for us to not be vengeful. I mean, we, we have vengeful thoughts, right? But he says, leave room for God's wrath. Don't go right up there and try to bring vengeance but rather step back and let God be the one who vindicates you. Let God be the one who brings wrath if wrath is going to come on. Don't you be the person that does that. That way they can turn to you and say, what's happening in my life? And you can say, well, that's God's wrath. And then he says, heap on their heads burning coals on their head. And theologians are divided 
about this burning coals. Some theologians believe that burning coals, uh, doing good to somebody you know, who's done bad to you. My wife and I have had a lot of people do dirt to us, so I can speak with authority about this. That if somebody has done dirt to you, and then you just treat them just like they're sons of God, and you just treat them nice, you know, even though you have a sneaking suspicion they may be sons of the devil, you still treat them like sons of, uh, sons of God. You're nice to them, and you just try to, that there's, the Bible says, calls that heaping, bringing goodness to them is heaping coals of fire on their head. Now, I believe that that is the bringing of judgment. Fire is judgment in Scripture, and, and so that this fire that comes on their head is sort of a, a judgment, and people will often feel horrible about how nice you're being after they've been horrible to you, right? So, and, and so, to me, it's like a Christian sport. When someone does something e evil to you, does you dirt, then you just be nice to them. And in fact, you might get a little, little over-the-top syrupy sweet to them and just watch them be uncomfortable. That's the only vengeance I guess we're allowed, is to heap the burning coals on their head. Now, other theologians say that's blessing. You're heaping coals on their head, and the coals are coals of blessing. Except my, my understanding of that is nowhere in the Scripture does it use the term uh, of fire, the symbolism of fire, the, the, the metaphysical idea of fire, as blessing. It's always judgment. So to me, it's like when you're doing this, you're putting this on their head, and either they'll repent and make things right between the two of you, or they'll further alienate themselves for you, I saw somebody in the hardware store today, somebody who uh, yelled, screamed at me the last time they were in church, just screamed right in my face at me about something. And uh, not something I did, something one of you did. I won't say which one of you. Anyway, and it just screamed, and they haven't been back to church then, since then, you know. And so uh, saw them in, in the store today, and I said, hey, like, like they're a long-lost friend, you know. And they like, didn't even acknowledge me, just turned their face and walked away. And, uh, but it's like a Christian sport. You know, he's like, oh, made him feel uncomfortable. Burning coals, you know. And uh, that, to me, that's the way it is. It, it's, it, you got to enjoy something in life. You might as well enjoy making people feel uncomfortable, right? That's what happens when you're old. When you're, when you're an old man, you just enjoy things like that. Going, hey, how you doing? How's things for you? <laughs> This whole list is to show us how to live. The picture that we get out of this is the picture of the church devoted and, and holding together and standing against the tide of the world that's trying to go a different direction, but the church is holding itself together and propping one another up and loving one another and being devoted. It's a beautiful picture of the church if you see it as a, not just as a list of commands, but as you see the picture of it the church being this people that, that sticks together and, and, and helps one another. And then the, the other side of that picture is the, the world around it, though, though it's hostile, is still our mission field. The problem with America today is we get, we are, we're in culture wars. And people are saying, oh, you're, you don't believe like we do, so you're the enemy. But that's not how Christians don't have the luxury to think like that. All we can say is they don't believe like we do because they're lost and they need to know Jesus. 
and to, re, to put a target on them so that the Holy Spirit can go and to pray and, inter, and intercede so the Holy Spirit will work in their lives and strengthen them and make them strong in Jesus so that, so that they can come and, and they eventually will see that we were right because we've never been right. It was just that God made us right. That's the issue, really. That's why we think rightly about things. And so, so the ideological differences that we have with people should not divide us, should not divide friends, should not divide us, but it but should just make us, we should be, have a devotion to pray for one another that they'll see the light. So when somebody says, I don't believe like you, we should immediately move them to our prayer list. Yes, get them Jesus, right? You have a prayer list, right? People you pray for, you've got a hit list, you're calling the Holy Spirit down on certain people. Yeah, we should be having a list of people who are in our, in our life that need God, that we're praying for and interceding for, that we rub shoulders with, that we bump, he, bump heads with. We should be, we should be praying. And you know, the problem is we objectify each other so much. We identify each other by political leanings or the, the economic strata that somebody's in or the educational uh, labels that we stick on each other. We, we, uh, we change the way we look at people. Instead of looking at somebody, there's a soul, a broken soul that needs Jesus. And if we see people like that, then we can overcome evil with good rather than being overcome by evil. That's what he finishes it off. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why is it when Christians were so worried, we spend our 15 or 16 years raising our kids in a Christian home, and then we're nervous about putting them in with people who don't believe like we do for fear that their spirit will be overwhelmed by the evil that's around them. We're worried about that. Part of that, maybe, we may not feel like we did all that good of a job teaching them about Jesus. And part of it, it could just be a recognition that it, there's a toxicity to the world that we live in that has to be dealt with by faith. But the scripture says it is possible, in fact, challenges us to accomplish this, to overcome evil with good. That doesn't mean kill people or anything. It means, it means to, to outshine them in the marketplace and to overcome them. Well, so let's pray. If after reading through a list like this, you don't have something to pray with, pray about, then there's no, there's no helping you. Let me be frank. If you, can look, if you can read through that list and say, nope, check, 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 got them all done, then... I quit, you be the pastor then, because you're way, way further down the road than I am. I, I see every other line is I'm getting convicted here. So let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.